You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming up on today's episode, we look back at Jets games against Chicago and the Islanders, plus get ready for a divisional matchup against St. Louis. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. All right, let's get right to it here. Hopefully you guys enjoyed your weekend, but let's break down a couple of Jets games that took place. One against Chicago that went fairly easily and then one against the Islanders that was, uh, yeah, just a tad tougher. Bit of a difference between the way the two teams play, right? <laughs> just opposite ends of the spectrum. No big deal between the Islanders and Chicago. But let's start with the Islanders game. It's freshest in everyone's mind. And yeah, a bit of a downer. That was, I guess we could call it a clinic. A defensive clinic put on by the King of Dauphin himself, Barry Trotz, at his New York Islanders team. I'll tell you what, if you're looking for lessons to learn after a loss like that in which the Jets... I mean, didn't play all that well and really didn't threaten the Islanders too much throughout the game. If you're trying to find some silver linings or positivity to take out of it, it's that Paul Maurice and the coaching staff could basically just put on the tape and say, boys, if we want to if we want to play winning hockey come playoff time, watch what the five guys on the ice in white, blue, and orange do every single time they're out there. I mean, it, the Islanders... Look, we'll see what the stats are by the time the season comes to an end. To me, it's not that close as to who is the premier defensive team in the NHL. I have the joy as a Flyers fan to watch the Islanders suck the life out of Philadelphia a few times a season because they're in the same division. But for Winnipeg fans that don't watch a whole lot of Islanders games, that's a front row seat to 60 minutes of a defensive masterpiece. I mean, they are just so structured, so composed, so difficult to play against. And then even if you get through all of that, you have the young rookie goalie, the or the young Russian goalie, I should say, at Ilya Sorokin, who's basically stood on his head all season long when being called upon. And you got to find a way to beat him after going up against the defensive structure that the Islanders have. They are just a tough-as-hell team to play I think I speak for a lot of Jets fans in saying, yeah, we don't need to see them any more than two times a season. But it's interesting watching the Islanders play the Jets there because I think the common refrain from a lot of people after the game was, 
well, if the Islanders can play that well defensively, why can't the Winnipeg Jets do so? Or is it even possible for the Jets to play as well defensively as the Islanders do? The answer to that, in my opinion, is both yes and no. You know, what makes the Islanders so good defensively is, of course, like I mentioned earlier, Barry Trotz has instilled a sense of structure in all three areas of the ice, offensive zone even, neutral zone, and then defensive zone. Every single player knows what they're supposed to do and where they're supposed to be in any kind of situation. And it's relatively simple as well, which means that it's easy to execute and it's easy for the players to focus on some of the minor intricate details that go on throughout a hockey game, right? Like I I always feel like the best defenses in all sports are usually the simplest ones. And for the Islanders, they kind of have these like five commandments that you must follow to play New York Islander hockey, to play great defensive hockey. There's 10 commandments in the Bible, five commandments, in Barry Trotz's Bible. He doesn't have time to add a few more in there. He's got places to go. He's the king of Dauphin, remember? But really, the overarching tenet for why the Islanders are so good defensively, and it's a simple one, and I hate using it in a lot of instances because I think it's almost lazy analysis, but I think it's really true here with how the Islanders play. And the first commandment to great defense on a Barry Trotz team is just quite simply work your ass off. That's it. If you watch the Islanders play, they're working their asses off every single shift. They're going to make mistakes with the puck here and there, and and they're going to have games where they give up a number of goals. But I'll tell you what, it's not because of a lack of effort. And, And just in doing that one step, it really reduces your margin of error, and it makes you that much tougher to beat night in and night out, shift in and shift out. The second part actually starts in the offensive zone for them, and and that's an aggressive forecheck. Deep inside opponent territory, they do a great job of forcing the opposing team's defense into making mistakes because they apply pressure really aggressively below the goal line, and they don't have to spend as much time defending on top of that. The third commandment in the Islanders' defensive philosophy, thou will not allow clean entries into the zone. I mean, they really, really put an emphasis on forcing teams to dump the puck in. I know a lot of teams will say that their neutral zone strategy is to make the other team dump the puck in. But the Islanders will put, hey, if we we have to put four guys by our own blue line, that's fine with us. You're not carrying the puck in and we think we're going to beat you back to it on top of it. So go ahead and dump the puck in. And if you want to try and carry it into the zone cleanly... We have one of the most dangerous counterattacks in the entire NHL. They'll feast on turnovers and go back the other way, which we saw time and time again in that game for the Jets on Saturday night. Fourth commandment, structure, structure, structure. And I'll tell you what, for anybody that's followed this Jets team for a number of years, we know the structure isn't necessarily there all the time for the Jets in their own zone, but it is for the Islanders. And they are okay with giving up shots from certain areas of the ice. They definitely take that quality over quantity approach. It's why, you know, Corsi has never looked up super well upon the Islanders. But they trust that, you know what? Take a shot from the perimeter. Our goalie's going to stop it. Or if you get a shot in a good area, we're going to block it and it's not even going to get to the goalie. And therein lies the fifth commandment for a Barry Trotz defensive philosophy is you got to have a hell of a goalie who makes a ton of saves. 
And both Sorokin and Varlamov have done that for the past couple of seasons. Thankfully for the Jets, they can actually rely on that too, having, you know, Connor Hellebuck and, hey, maybe even Eric Comrie now in the fold. But that's basically it, right? Like, it's nothing too crazy. Strong defensive hockey does not have to be anything overly complicated. So the Winnipeg Jets can sort of follow a bunch of those principles. They may not be as defensively talented as certain members of the Islanders are, right? Like, there is an amount of awareness that goes into playing excellent defensive hockey. And with how offensively inclined some of the Winnipeg Jets are, they may never reach that level of elite, elite defensive results. But a little more structure, maybe even a little more work ethic on top of it, the Winnipeg Jets can certainly improve. Maybe not get to what the New York Islanders are doing over there, but they can certainly improve the way that they're playing in their own end of the ice. Now, that might be a bit harsh, considering that before that loss against the Islanders, the Jets had the best 10-game start in 2.0 franchise history. So, yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm too negative on this, but it's just that the blueprint is right there. And what Barry Trotz has done with the New York Islanders, I think can be, there's elements of how they play that can be incorporated into the Winnipeg Jets game. And I think it'll just make the team better and, and really, really dangerous come down the stretch of the regular season and heading into the playoffs. We'll see if that happens or not, but props to Barry Trotz and the Islanders. It looks like they're well, well primed to make another deep playoff run this upcoming spring. Speaking of Barry Trotz and good coaching, there was something that happened in the Jets-Islanders game that caught my eye again. It's something that I've seen a decent amount over the past few seasons in how teams attack the Winnipeg Jets, and it actually led to one of the New York Islanders' goals in the game. And we'll get to that in just a second here, but quickly do want to give a shout-out to our friends over at DraftKings because... DraftKings Sportsbook, which is an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an amazing offer for all the hockey fans out there to take advantage of. Get this. New customers, if you bet just $1 on any NHL game, you will win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's right. You don't need to pick a winner. You don't need to pick the loser correctly. Bet $1 on any game, and you get 100 in free bets if a goal is scored in that game. Now, if Sportsbook is not available in your state just yet or province, DraftKings will not leave you empty-handed because they have major cash prizes all season long with their daily fantasy sports contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So I mentioned one thing that happened in the game led to an Islanders goal. It's happened time and time again against the Winnipeg Jets over the past few seasons. We go back to the second goal of the night, essentially the game clincher for the New York Islanders. 
And a pretty innocent play, in all honesty. I mean, the puck is in New York's end of the ice. It's a bit of a regroup. And just two passes later, the puck ends up at the back of Winnipeg's net. Right? Like, it shouldn't be that easy. But we've seen this play time and time again. And in case you miss it, I'll try to describe it for you here quickly. But the Islanders make a quick pass to a forward with his back turned to the Jets' side of the net. To a forward... Just before the blue line, he makes a quick one-touch pass to a streaking forward going the other way. And we see an odd man rush and then an eventual goal for the Islanders off that play. There were several instances last season when the Edmonton Oilers used that exact same play to attack the Winnipeg Jets with speed. Get a bunch of odd man rushes. They scored a couple of goals off that. Dave Tippett clearly saw something. The Colorado Avalanche did the same thing a number of times as well. Jared Bednar saw something there. And now we see Barry Trotz, who doesn't really, I mean, for a team that doesn't play the Jets a whole lot, they clearly saw something in video that they could exploit. And they did it on the second goal of the night ending the game. So why does this keep happening? Well, the answer is poor support. It's a really simple solution, but it is interesting that we've seen a handful of coaches go to the well with this particular move against the Jets, and there hasn't been much of a response to it. When that pass is completed up the ice, the defenseman, in this case Josh Morrissey, really has no choice but to engage with the guy that now has the puck, or else he's gonna, you know, move his way into the offensive zone pretty easily, right? So, as a defenseman, you don't really have much of a decision to make here. You obviously go towards the puck carrier here. But this is where the forwards for the Winnipeg Jets, you can lay some of the team's defensive woes at the feet of the forwards here, because there needs to be a better recognition of stepping up to fill the space that was previously occupied by your defenseman there. And in this particular play, when Morrissey makes the jump up to the forward who gets the puck, either Kopp or Stasny, it doesn't really matter all that much who, but either one of those two players in this instance need to get back a little bit harder and a little bit quicker to make sure that there isn't an odd man rush going the other way. And by the time the recognition is made, it's already too late. And Brock Nelson picks up the puck with speed, and you see the two-on-one happen the other way, and he makes a nice shot to beat Eric Comrie on the play. So if you're watching Jets games, just keep an eye on this moving forward again, because this is a few seasons now where a number of different teams have exploited the Winnipeg Jets' lack of attention to detail inside the neutral zone. So if you see an odd man rush coming from a pass inside the other team's defensive zone, don't be surprised... If that's the play that's utilized by whichever team is going up against the Winnipeg Jets that night. So all in all, a tough loss to a really good Islanders team that is going to do that to a lot of clubs this season. So nothing to totally hang your head over if you're the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, it's just a bit of a downer to what was shaping up to be a really, really awesome weekend. Because the Winnipeg Jets started things off in style with an absolute beatdown of division rival Chicago on Friday night. That kind of capped off the Jets. Well, not kind of. It capped off the Jets' best 10-game start in 2.0 franchise history. 6-2-2. And they did it in style by absolutely hammering a brutal, brutal Chicago team. I mean, look, the Jets played well in that game. Don't get me wrong. But I think what stood out to a lot of people is just how bad 
Chicago lucked in that game. And it was right from the get-go, right? It, it took no time at all, 47 seconds, for the Jets to get on the board. And it just got worse from there, <laughs> from a Chicago perspective. They, they just didn't really look all that competitive throughout the game. So full credit to the Jets for kind of sensing sensing a chance to put their foot on the throat of their opponent and then going out there and seizing it. I just love when you play a bad team and you really kick the crap out of them in the first five or so minutes, right? To set the tone, no, there's no hope for you in this game. You're going to have to look a little further down the schedule to try to find a bit of relief because you're not getting it tonight. So I I love the way that the Jets open up the game and then they just kept pouring it on and on and on. You had the opener 47 seconds in. You had Neil Pionk looking like Alex Ovechkin on the power play with an absolute snipe. Toninato! Even Dominic Toninato had a hell of a move on his goal there. A great pass from Andrew Kopp, who again, surprise, surprise, has another multi-point game. But a great move by Toninato to get on the score sheet too. And then you have Connor and Ehlers, the usual suspects finishing things off. I mean, the Jets did what you're supposed to do against a bad team. Kick the crap out of them. And I and I love the way that they were ruthless right from the get-go. Did feel bad for Marc-Andre Fleury, to be honest. I mean, there was maybe one or two that he could have stopped in this one. And you could say that about a lot of Chicago's goaltending this season. But man, oh man, is the team in front of him just not giving him a lot of help right now. And ultimately, it, it cost Jeremy Carlton his job, right? I think we all saw this coming a mile away. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty obvious. With the way Chicago stunk up the joint so far on the ice this season. But I don't know if there's a coach out there right now that's going to turn that ship around. I mean, it just looks like Chicago has dug themselves too deep of a hole. And while coaching may have been a big issue for them, I don't think it's the only issue. And there's a lot, a lot to figure out before Chicago can dream about getting back to playoff contention. Never mind back to where they were, you know, six, seven, eight years ago. But all in all, really, really strong performance by the Winnipeg Jets on Friday night. And another great performance by Eric Comrie. This is becoming some kind of a story right now with how well this kid has played in his first few starts to the season. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Eric Comrie has been bloody sensational. He does not look like the guy that we saw his first few seasons in the NHL, and after four games, yes, it's just four games, but at what point do we just kind of maybe come to expect some pretty good goaltending no matter who's in the net for the Winnipeg Jets? A 926 save percentage through four games for Eric Comrie. I'm not going to say that he's a 926 guy by the end of the season, but at at what point here do we kind of look around and say, you know what, he's going to give the Jets a chance to win each time he steps into the blue paint, right? Like, we'll see what his numbers are at the end of the year, but with how composed he's looked, how well he's played in each of his starts, not really a stinker that's been let in so far either. You know, the Jets just might find themselves fortunate that not only will they not miss Laurent Bressois this year, but they can basically count on above average, good, or even very good goaltending each night of the regular season, no matter who steps in net for them. It's been amazing. I mean, what a story. What a story for Eric Comrie, who came in with so many question marks and doubters and critics, and you could probably put myself in that field too, and he's come out and he's lit the world on fire 
each time he's been called upon by the Jets so far this year. So if it wasn't for Pierre-Luc Dubois' hot start to the season, I would say Eric Comrie has been the feel-good story or the story of the Winnipeg Jets through 10 games. He's played a lot more than anybody would have anticipated him to, but he's certainly more than held up his end of the bargain. Having said that, though, it will be nice to see Connor Hellebuck in net by the sounds of things the next time the Winnipeg Jets hit the ice. And that's where we'll change our focus to. From the weekend to the week ahead here, the Winnipeg Jets homestand continues in a major, major matchup Tuesday night against the St. Louis Blues. I mean, not the hottest team in the NHL with the way that Florida and Carolina and even Edmonton have played so far this season, but definitely one of the better starts of the year by any club in the league. It's going to be maybe the Jets' toughest matchup outside of the Islanders game Saturday night. And it's funny because we just spent a few minutes talking about the Chicago game. Chicago can't do anything right, and they've been bad in basically every facet of the game this year. The opposite can be said for St. Louis. The Blues are basically good at everything right now. We're talking about a team that's top five goals for, top five goals against, top five power play, top five penalty kill. Jordan Bennington has been outstanding. You've got five guys at a point of game right now. Vladimir Tarasenko's shoulder looks like it's stronger than ever, and he's sniping all over the place. David Perron is on fire. Jordan, Robert Thomas, Jordan Kyra, right? Like, they, there aren't a lot of weak spots with what the St. Louis Blues are bringing to the table right now. So it's a, it's a massive, massive test for the Winnipeg Jets. It'll be interesting, too, to see how the Winnipeg Jets forward group lines up in this one. I mean, obviously, Shifley and Stasny, who were not at practice, sound like they might be game-time decisions. That's going to go a long way into determining what the Winnipeg Jets look like up front. But when you take a look at St. Louis's forward composition and how well they've played to start off the year, you know, they've kind of been a really effective top six and then a, a decent bottom six. You know, nothing earth-shattering, but there's no doubt that the top two lines have led the way all season long for the St. Louis Blues. You have the top line of Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, and Brandon Saad, followed by a really good second line with Robert Thomas, Jordan Kyrou, a couple of youngsters there, and then Vladimir Tarasenko out there on the right. I mean, the third line has a ton of skill on it as well with Pavel Buchnevich and Klim Kostin. Buchnevich is maybe the only blue that's had a bit of a tough start to the season. He's only got three points through his first eight games. But when you look at the lineup and the way it's constructed for the Blues, you know, I, I do wonder if Paul Maurice, assuming he has a full disposal of forwards, Maybe Paul Maurice shakes his forward lines up a little bit in this one. I, I don't think we're going to see Dubois, Connor, and Svechikov broken up anytime soon. I think those three stay together. But I do wonder if everyone's healthy. Do you not bump Nikolai Ehlers up beside Mark Scheifele and Blake Wheeler? And then have a third line of Adam Lowry and Andrew Kopp maybe? And a Paul Stasny? You know, I mentioned this last week, and I think from what we saw over the weekend, it, it's only been strengthened, in my opinion, but I, I just don't know if Shifley, Lowry, Wheeler is a line that's going to work together. I, I don't know if you're getting the best out of any of those players putting them on the same line. It just doesn't look like the chemistry's there, and I, I mentioned this last week, but I just feel like you need some speed if you're going to put Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler together. I think Nikolai Ehlers is the antidote to a, a quote-unquote struggling Shifley and Wheeler right now. And then you could go back to something that's worked for years, and that's Adam Lowry and Andrew Kopp together. 
And whether it's a Stasny or a Harkins or a Vestalina, whoever it is, I think that's the lineup I'm going with. And, and I just don't know how much longer... We'll, we'll see how much more patient Paul Maurice is going to be in this Adam Lowry, Shifley Wheeler experiment. I don't think it's going to last a whole much longer, though. And Dubois, Connor, Svechnikov have, have played so well that they're not getting touched. It just seems like it's a matter of time before... Mark Shifley and Nikolai Ehlers get reunited onto a line together. And I think once they get put together, they're not going to be pushed apart anytime soon either. But we'll see if that happens in the game Tuesday night against the St. Louis Blues. Hopefully this one looks a lot more like the game against Chicago than it did against the New York Islanders on Saturday night. But that'll do it for the episode today. We're back at it again on Friday. We'll have, again, a pair of games to break down for you guys. The aforementioned one against the Blues. And then a chance for revenge against the San Jose Sharks on Thursday night for the Jets. That's what we'll get into to close out the week. But until then, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. We're back here on Friday. Peace.